0: Welcome back to the Skinny Skinny. It's the film podcast from the team behind the Skinny Magazine. It's a full house today. The whole gang's here. <laughs> it's uh, me, Peter Simpson, with Jimmy Dunn. Hello, uh, Lewis Robertson. Hello, and Anna Heatbeers. Hi. Uh, it's very hot outside. As a brief warning to anyone listening to this, this was recorded during the incredibly aggressive heatwave.
1: The climate crisis. The climate crisis.
0: Yes, this was uh, recorded during the prelude to what the rest of time is going to be like. (laughs) Um, But it's all right because we're in the lovely Upload Studios in Leith, which has very, very good air conditioning, amongst all the other things. So if you've ever wanted to record a podcast but thought you were a bit warm, (laughs) 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 UploadStudios.co.uk. Gang's all here, we've got some films to talk about. In fact, they're both kind of fitting for it being very, very hot outside. In that one of them is about uh, volcanoes and one of them is about taking a big, long road trip in a big car with your whole family. <sighs> Don't know where that voice is coming from. It's very hot. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but before we start talking about films that we've been watching, we want to plug an event that we have coming up on the 15th of August. So Skinny Skinny has been many things and now it will be live. Um, Because on the 15th of August at Codebase, which is just down from Edinburgh Castle in the centre of Edinburgh, we're doing a live edition of the podcast for the Edinburgh International Film Festival. So we're going to have special guests. We're going to be talking about some of the films we've seen. We have secured 360 360 cans of uh, free Edinburgh gin that we can dish out at various events we've got running in August. So isn't it
1: like specifically the rhubarb and gin ones? It's 360 as well? <laughs> cans
0: of the rhubarb and ginger ale. Which is Virginia. the best
1: one, but that is very funny.
0: <laughs> um, and I've seen them all, so it's not, this isn't even a bluff. I like personally moved them all into a big cupboard. <laughs> so you should come down. So it's on the 15th of August from about half past six. If you go to the skinny.co.uk slash tickets, you can get signed up for it and uh, we'll have more details on who's going to be on the panel and who we're going to be talking to and on but yeah the skinny.co.uk slash tickets come and check it out we'll be live and in 3d possibly even 4d if you're in the first couple of rows and (laughs) the gin gets loose um so that's something to look forward to but first of all we have to get caught up with everybody and jamie is back from that film festival he was at so jamie what have you been watching
2: well, you had a great time at Kalavavari Film Festival in the Czech Republic. Uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about too much about the films because I think they're going to be ones we're talking about in the future. So we've got I saw After Sun, which uh, is going to be opening the Edinburgh Film Festival. I'm sure we're going to be talking about that in an c- upcoming episode. I also saw uh, Crimes of the Future, the new Cronenberg film, which is out in September, and I'm sure that'll be one uh, we talk about. But the one I'm most looking forward to talking to you with is... Uh, about when it comes out is Triangle of the new uh, rubens Oslin film, uh, which one can and it is just a hilarious wild satire about uh, the 1% where rich people get put through the ringer in a way I haven't seen since Louis Bunnell. So yeah, it's going to be a great time watching it. It's, it's a film that's kind of uh, split critics down the middle. Some people hate it, some people love it. I suspect the people who hate it perhaps felt it was aimed at them a little bit. I think it might depend where you land on the class, class spectrum, how you enjoy this film.
1: Are you saying all the people that hate her are secret Tories, Jamie?
2: I am exactly saying that, okay. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Way to make friends. <laughs> no. Looking at you, Pierre Bradshaw. I'm <laughs> <laughs> joking. Um, yeah, well, maybe not. Anyway, I, I, I really enjoyed it and I found it uh, a well ride. So, yeah, can't wait to talk. Was
3: Thank there anything you, you hated?
2: Well. Uh, I mean, I didn't love Spoiler Alert, I didn't love Crimes of the Future. More disappointment than hate, but I did watch it at kind of like midnight. So, I might have just been really sleep sleep survived. so, um, yeah, I, yeah, it was a good festival, like, loads of good stuff, loads of, it's a fun competition, uh,
3: yeah, loads of good things.
0: Good stuff. Um, Lewis, what have you been watching?
3: Uh, A week or two ago, uh, friends and I watched The Babadook, which I'd never seen before, um, that was, that was fun. I, I kind of, I think I underestimated it because it was such an internet meme, right? So, I'd never saw it because I thought it was one of those, like, it's so bad, it's good films, which I don't necessarily have anything against. I just like, don't really go out my way to see, but it turns out it's actually like a really well put together film.
1: By memes, do you mean like the queer icon, the Babadook? The queer
3: icon, sure, but also kind of just like the Babadook being photoshopped into anything looks kind of right, funny. Right, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, but you know, it's it, it's it's got great atmosphere. It's really well directed, great great shots. Um. I do find it funny how everything's like, very gothic and washed out but it's meant to be set in Australia and it's like never in a million years has Australia looked this bleak but um yeah no in general enjoyed it good film do recommend if you've been sleeping on it because of its sort of meme-ness is actually a real horror film
0: having been to Australia briefly several years ago some parts of Australia are very bleak not very <laughs> gothic but quite washed out um <laughs> uh, uh, Anahi, what did you want to talk about? What have you been watching? Is there something that you wanted to talk about but need to find a legally safe way to describe? Yes, please. Okay. So what's caught your eye, regardless of its legal availability in this country on streaming platforms?
1: Thank you, Peter. Uh, So hypothetically, uh, potentially this week, uh, in the last week, uh, I may have watched The Bear three times in three days. Um, which for those who don't know is the new, um, it's like an FX Hulu show. Um, It's only eight episodes long in my defense or six. No, it's eight. Um, And it's about like a, like award-winning Michelin star, blah, blah, blah chef um, who comes back to his brother's like dingy little, but also kind of like iconic um, sandwich shop in Chicago after his brother dies. And he like comes back to run this like absolutely chaotic place. Um, And it's just like this really beautiful, like exploration of like grief and what happens like, after like tragedy, like when everything is broken, how do you kind of start to process that and pick things up? The guy in it is so hot. (laughs) Is he a bear? No, he's not. Well, his name is uh, Kami Baratso. B- I can't remember because I get so distracted whenever he's on screen. <laughs> but uh, B- Barazzo? Hang on, I just looked this up. But anyway, point being, uh, he's really sexy. Like he's like really grimy and like very sad. Like he is so sad. Um, and it's just a really good time. Like it's really good. I don't know when it's coming out. In the UK, I have a feeling that um, like it's got a lot of traction purely through like word of mouth. I think a lot of screenshots of him went viral (laughs) and people were like hey what's the show um so they haven't properly like released it yet so I don't know when it's going to be released in the UK but when it is bersato, kami bersato. there we go um but yeah it's really like I know do you ever get like that with like shows or tv or like films or whatever where you just can't really leave it like you just have to keep just until is that just me no you guys I kind of got that
3: yeah Yeah. i've um, had some of those i can't think the last one i had was like it's a sin where i would watch (laughs) Mm. an episode of it and then go to bed and realize i couldn't sleep because i was thinking too much about it
1: yeah yeah yeah. and you just have to like get out of your system almost like it's just so in your head yeah so that was really good what's that actor's name the
3: the, the guy
1: the jeremy allen white yeah
2: he's got like a face that looks like he's from like sixties or something or seventies yeah. he doesn't look modern, you know. No, and
1: he looks permanently slightly stoned. Yeah. And just like a mess. Like he's so sad in this. Yeah, he's so sad.
2: It looks like he should be in seventies movies. Like yeah.
1: John Cutterbits yeah, yeah, yeah. or something. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, a, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. And it really has that kind of vibe actually, because it is set in Chicago and there's kind of weird sort of like mobby behavior in the background, but not really. But really it's about just these men that are like very broken and very sad and kind of trying to yeah. And then there's this like new chef that comes in who's played by Ayo Adeberi and she is amazing. Like so sharp and funny. It's just so good. It's so good. Anyway.
0: So, so if it's an FX one, it'll probably come on Disney, Disney plus, plus at some point yeah. soon. So.
1: I think it. if they had known it would be such a big deal, they would have like simultaneously released it or something. Yeah. maybe.
0: But you've just heard that it's quite good. I have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: people have. Someone um, might have watched it. Someone might have watched it. Two times. <laughs> 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 admitting no, no names.
0: Yeah. Because <laughs> um, another FX thing that I've been watching a little bit recently is The Walking Dead. Just on a rewatch because my partner really likes it and I'd never seen it. I mean, the thing is, it's such a like a long running show. You could do like a whole episode on it. Here's the very basic notes. Watching a weekly show in big chunks just reminds you of its weird kind of boom bust cycles where like everything's fine. And that's like, oh, no, drama is required. Everything's not fine. <laughs> um, the politics are a bit dodgy. How foreign are you? like three series. Oh, okay, that's not a lot at all. Um, Yes, I've still got a good bit to go. It's very, very tense, it's very gory, but the main reason I want to flag it is because I hate the kids, Carl, so much, right? (laughs) You love the man from the bear, the bear from the bear. (laughs) I dislike Carl to the extent that you like the man from the bear. Oh,
1: that's not possible.
0: He's so (laughs) annoying, and he's like, he basically, goes he is very very young at the start and kind of goes through a lot of traumatic experiences and the kind of point that seems to be being made is that people who are uh, subjected to traumatic experiences in extremely violent life then become uh, traumatized and violent but he just has a smugness probably going to talk about a quite good child actor very shortly but this kid I hate him I hate him so much and I know I'm not supposed to hate that kid. Well, he causes most of the problems, I think. He's a little prick. (laughs) Anyway.
1: Jesus.
0: (laughs) But anyway, that's enough from me. (laughs) From talking about a little kid that I hate so much. (laughs) So a little kid who I actually quite liked um, who features in Hit the Road, which is the first film, first film by Pana Panahi, who is the son of Iranian director Jafar Panahi, who has actually just had his six year sentence by the Iranian government, six year jail sentence by the Iranian government, like kind of confirmed, uh, I believe like the day we're recording this or possibly like earlier this week.
1: So he was like arrested last week for protesting the arrests of um, two other big Iranian directors. And he had previously had like a six year sentence as well as like house arrest and 20 years of not being able to leave the country. But I think the six year jail sentence never really came about. And now they're like sending him to prison, which is so horrible. Like it's so upsetting. Um, he's lovely. He's yeah, I, I love his films so much. Um, so yeah, it's like a weird time to be reviewing this in yeah. a way, but also I guess like the right time. Yeah,
0: it's, uh, it's a very, it's a strange, cause when you talked about it in the office, It was like, I had Googled the name Jafar Panahi recently enough that I had just done it, but not so recently that this news about him going to jail had come up. So this is genuinely, basically as we're recording Mm -hmm. this, this additional bit of context has become available. Um, So Hit The Road is about a family who pile into a borrowed four by four for a road trip across the Iranian countryside. Your cast of characters are a middle-aged mum a very gruff dad with his leg in the cast, an incredibly active small boy, a grown-up son who's behind the wheel and a terminally ill dog in the boot. (laughs) Uh, So Hit The Road won best film at the London Film Festival last year. It has also, I believe, was like up for some awards when it played. Possibly at Cannes, it was in the director's fortnight. Possibly at Cannes. And it's been kind of making its way towards a UK release at the end of this month he. what did you think of Hit the Road?
1: I love this film so much, like so, so much. This is, I think, currently my film of the year, maybe. Um, you hear the synopsis of this film and you really think, especially in the context of what so much Iranian cinema is like, which is that it's very kind of social realist. It can like get quite dark in quite an existential way. You'd maybe kind of think about it like that because there's so much of this film that is unsaid. There's this kind of older brother and they're driving him to the border, but you don't really know why. and Clearly, everyone's, like, tense and upset, but you're not really sure what's going on. But this is such a warm and funny film. Like, it's just so big-hearted and kind of joyful, even amidst all of this. It's very, like, rooted in its characters. So, yeah, you have, like, the really gruff dad who just has the most Iranian sense of humor. Like, it's very deadpan. It's very dry. Um, I will say, like, the translation doesn't even really 100% get it, like, the subtitles. Like, it's just so kind of that sense of just pushing through it and like finding humor in it anyway the mum is just so big-hearted like she also is just so funny but clearly she's upset and then you have yeah this kid who's like what like five six years old he's like a new find by um Panna. um and his name is Ryan Sarlek, and he is just Funny and precocious and annoying and loud and sweet and just everything. Um, there's this one bit where like he like runs into like a minibus and the driver's kind of like, yeah, you- he could ride along with me and his mom's like, Are you sure he's like a pain in the ass? <laughs> <laughs> and he kind of is, but he's also so lovely. And so much of the film is them almost trying to hide what's happening to the older brother from him. But he's also just so chaotic that he's a big presence. And it's just so good. Um, it's politics is so rooted in these characters. Like it is about what happens when particular like oppressive structures get in the way of like your everyday futures, like these small connections that you have with your family and kind of the warmth between people. Like it's about the effect that this stuff has on people's everyday. And it's both big and small at the same time. yeah, I just really loved it. I, from the moment I saw it at London, like I was so in love with it. I think there's a very particular, it feels particular to me, I suppose. I shouldn't say it's particular, I'm sure it is for a lot of people. But I think with Iran, especially, because there was like such a big movement of people that left after the revolution, there's continued to be like people that are constantly leaving. That idea of like exile feels like a very specific cultural thing that it's doing. Um, And I think the way that he engages with that and the way that he engages with it on just this very like intricate cinematic level, the way that he like frames things, this idea of like an unending expanse and the horizon is always just like round the corner, um, the way that the sun is kind of always like outside of the car or framed within the car. Like it's just, it's so good. It's so good. Like he's just, oh my God. Yeah, I, I can't really like be eloquent about it. I just love it so much. I love it so much. Oh, will let someone else talk. <laughs> no, I, I would
2: agree, it's probably my film of the year. as yeah. well, and, and definitely the best film I think we've talked about mm-hmm. for, for me on the podcast. Um, I, I guess what I agree with all that is just what kind of knocks me out about it is the tone of it. The way it can shifts like mood like mm-hmm. 180 degrees in a single scene. You know, it's just so deft at doing that. You know, there are lots of moments where the character will look directly in the camera and it'll be held there like in that kind of frontal close-up for a few seconds too long and the soundtrack mm-hmm. has this kind of mournful sort of Schubert. Piano mm. piece that plays all the way through it. Um, so it so of hold it and it seems like a very kind of pretentious moment. But what Panahi does, he, he'll quite often undercut it, especially at the start. You know, so sort for example, the first time it happens, the father's kind of looking out the window, and, you, and you're wondering what's he thinking. He, he looks so sad. He looks so th- you know in deep in thought. But then it cuts, and it turns out he's you know looking at a bag of pistachios <laughs> <that's laughs> on, on the dashboard, which is just a bit too far out of reach, and he's got this broken leg, so he can't reach it. So he has to use his crutch, and it's just filling moments, but that. But then it deploys the same technique towards the end of the film, and it's just utterly heartbreaking. Um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful, and, and yeah, the the filmmaking is just so great. Like uh, has used the frame it's just so interesting, you know, um, whether it's in close-up or wide-shot, he's constantly coming up with these kind of, like, amazing compositions. So, like, there's like again, he can do it for comic effect, but there's an amazing scene where the family kind of knock down a cyclist, and they pick him (laughs) up, and he's kind of crammed every character into this kind of tiny frame in the back back seat. And uh, it's just hilarious. It's got an amazing payoff about Lance Armstrong. It's just, like, a a funny scene. (laughs) But then the most emotional moment in the scene that he films this kind of really wide shot at dusk and the characters are like these little dots on the landscape and it's almost as if these little figures you know they're going through this most heartbreaking moment and it's as if he's he just can't go so close because it's like a private moment so he doesn't want to take the camera too close but it's also like also mythic it's almost like they're like in a landscape painting or something and it's just, yeah, he's it, it, always kind of doing two things at once in every scene and that's why I kind of loved it so
0: much. It also has to be said that in that scene that Jamie's describing, there's also like two or three really funny gags. There's like a scene, there's a bit in that scene where the mum runs to get something and then just absolutely face plants yeah. and the dad, even from miles away, you can just see the dad turn around and be like, what are you doing on the floor? Yeah. <laughs> and the little kid's like tied to a tree yeah, like, yeah. To, like, get
2: involved and he's like pushing against it, it's like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, yeah, this is brilliant. It's just like, yeah, it's just constant alive with like, lots of ideas like that visual ideas. The performances are just feel so real, very specific, but kind of really universal as well.
3: Yeah. It's even especially uh, impressive considering, you know, how small and constrained a setting we have in the car not just in terms of its size but also like the dad is in his his cast he has his leg up he's in the same position throughout almost the entire journey so he's still constantly reinventing the frame like just moving the camera around doing really interesting things with it and the background is usually quite the same it's just a road you've got the ambient noise of like cars and wind and stuff like that but it's the dialogue that like really just totally changes the soundscape of the of, of the of the of the car like um the performances were definitely my favorite thing about it mm-hmm. like um it's like kind of difficult to tell i think with um the the kid ryan sarlacc like whether or not it, it, it for me it was hard to tell whether or not they just sort of unleashed him on set and kind of let him improvise all of his little songs and jokes and all of his energy or how well rehearsed how workshopped that was, was
1: this in- the interview that we did in The Skinny Jamie because yeah. I think, yeah, the person does, that, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: He does talk a little bit in that interview that we did for him uh about communicating. But yeah. it, it still to me was so like this is like it, it's really good because you can kind of not really tell where the director ends and the performer begins. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a delight to have, you know, an actor that young capable of, of a performance that elevated. Um, And the performance bleeds into the others as well, like you really get a sense, though you're right, Like the the mum is like very responsible and mature, but at the same time drops that very often and pulls funny faces and sings along to the songs on the radio and you really get the sense that these characters all belong to the same family. You get the sense that these actors are working together and communicating in ways that you can't see. Um, So like that's the thing, the delivery was absolutely my favorite thing about it. Um, Other than that, yeah, the framing, the setting there's um lots of times where there's these little imperfections kind of in a weird way like when the kid shouts onward and points his hand forward and the car reverses (laughs) out of the parking space and it's just that little like mystifying imperfections um that kind of humanize the characters signify kind of a wider theme of of this contradiction between like leaving your home but also it being a really tragic and terrible thing Uh, so like deeply human characters an absolute like and they have your attention the entirety of the film it's so
0: good it's really really good it's really funny it's very like sweet and sad like you said like everyone's kind of said cinematography great performances all brilliant like really nice kind of almost like magic realist touches throughout it they're just like sprinkled in enough that it like stops you from getting comfortable but in a really good way and it reminded me, when I was watching it, this is a comparison I've seen other people make and then immediately follow up with, I don't really mean that, but you get the point, which is uh, Little Miss Sunshine is a film that reminds me of a fair bit. And I think that the thing about that comparison, the reason I would make it, is if that is the thing, if listening to all of us talk about how good this film is hasn't made you want to go and see it, then that, I think, is a comparison that should convince people to go and see it. It's not a perfect like one-for-one like analog, but in terms of the kind of like family tensions on a big kind of slightly absurd, slightly snarky like road trip, it's in a similar vein. But I think I prefer Pi. Oh, a yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, if that is what it takes, if you want a film you've heard of to compare to this film, that's <laughs> the one to go for.
2: I mean, also Panahi's films, like it, maybe not his later films, but when he, like, The, the White Balloon mm-hmm. um, is, a, is a good comparison. Well, that's got a kind of a little precocious kid character who's who's not a million miles away from uh, the kids in here. Um, she's like very funny and very forthright. But also it's full of these metaphors, like everything in the scene, everything in the film is metaphor. And that's, there's a metaphor around every corner in this film, you know, like there's a dried up lake, there's a, little, you know, the, the the cast is a metaphor, everything about it. And yeah, I love the, the moments in Magic realism. There's a scene where the, the kid and the dad, it just takes you by surprise when it happens, but the kid and the dad seem to become like space beings you know it's like a, it's referencing in 2001 my favorite scene. it's like so good but instead of being like a pretentious like existential moment of mankind they're bickering about like how much batman's car would cost <laughs> you know it's just it's a film like, like that's what i mean it's just a film that's doing these kind of grand grand things but the granular at the same time and that's why i loved it it's just like yeah just constantly surprising me
1: i took to Panapanahe for this um which was just nice like, such a nice experience he was so nice Um, But he was saying, because like, obviously, there's so much of this film that feels generically really interesting. Like you say, that kind of magical realism, sci-fi thing, the road trip movie, like compared especially to his father's films, that is something that feels so much more stylized about it. But he was like, I just never thought of it as a genre film. Like it did not occur to me until the first reviews came out of Cannes that I had made a road trip movie. And I think in a way, that's actually what makes it really good, because I think you're right. He's paying attention to the granular stuff and to the writing and to what makes sense with the characters and then kind of out of that, everything else is like fitting in and emerging. And that means that it's not trapped within these boundaries of how genre usually works. And I just think that's incredible to have not even tried to like do this and then to have done it. It's like, oh my God, what a man. I love it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what, a what a guy, what a film. <laughs> um, so yeah, Hit the Road is out on the 29th of July. Um, It's a picture house release. I think there's some advanced screenings at the Cameo in Edinburgh earlier that week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's out from the 29th of July. I think it's got all of our seal of approval. Go and see it.
1: Can I also say, just this is not like strictly speaking relevant and I think it might be a little bit frustrating for Pana to have it always like spoken about in his like dad's context. But especially given what has happened to his father like today in this past week, like seeking out some of Jafar Panahi's films as well would be... Like he made some really, really interesting ones in his like period of house arrest, which aren't really films. And they're kind of like, yeah, I don't know. They're just amazing. Like this is not a film, it's amazing. Taxi Tehran, if you like this one. Another good car movie. Is another good car yeah. movie, which is just lovely. Um, So yeah, like if you like this film, now would probably be a good time also to kind of look at the sort of cinema that's being made within this sort of political context, I suppose.
0: So next up is Fire of Love which is a new documentary charting the lives of volcanologist star volcanologist couple Katia and Maurice Kraft uh, and it's kind of made up of footage from their enormous archive that they kind of created over several decades of touring the world studying volcanoes. Um, it's written and directed by Sara Dossa and is narrated by Miranda July. Important to start this is not to be confused with The Fire Within which is a Werner Herzog documentary about the same pair of volcanologists which is also coming out this year, but I think that, as we'll discuss, this is very much not a Werner Herzog (laughs) documentary. Um, I think that, yeah, this is kind of as far away from gruff German man (laughs) narrates forever as you could get. and uh, yeah lewis what did you think of fire of love i really liked
3: it i thought this was one of those films that uses just the format of documentary really interestingly because obviously they're historical individuals and their story is kind of already known from a factual point of view but they can use editing and style to make it feel like they're characters from some some grand story and with that they can also kind of introduce this theme of fate like you kind yeah. of are led to believe it's always going to go this way, they're always destined for this. Um, they, they live for this passion, but you get the idea that they're going to be consumed by it in the end. Um, like at the end of the first act, uh, once we've kind of established who Katya and Maurice Kraft are, We have this montage, I don't know if you'll remember it, it's like these insane shots of them standing in the silver suits, the silver Mm. heat resistant suits, right on the edge of the volcanoes. And they're just exploding right in front of these shots are absolutely amazing. And it was this part where like my jaw dropped. I was like, could not believe, I didn't even know that humans could get that close to a volcano. But as amazed you are, it does come with this like dark feeling of, oh, they're kind of going too far. Oh, this is like, this is only going to end one way, surely. so, you know, they kind of like get to make a neat little story with overlapping themes of like, you know, their love for each other is as significant as their passion for volcanoes, but their willingness to embrace death is a huge part of that as well. They're very they feel like very full characters in this narrative. Um the there the, the, there was some stuff that I wasn't totally jazzed about with the with the narration and stuff like that. Again, after that midway point, there's all this stuff about how Katia's like a bird because she's obsessed with the finer details. I I guess that's what like like birds and Maurice is like an elephant seal. He's he's big <laughs> picture. I don't know what that means. Like I think that it does seem like they're kind of making stuff up at this point. <laughs> um,
1: isn't that little poetry there, <laughs>
3: <Lewis>? <laughs> But I mean well, you know. That that that's really it. Like we move on pretty quickly from that kind of stuff. And I also then,
2: think they had footage of him fighting a seal. So that kind of what That's why it's there. Yeah, <laughs> right. It means it's nothing like, to say he's like a bull seal.
3: But that's the thing as well. Like the the editing and it, it's so stylized. They have these little animated bits where they explain how the eruption of Krakatoa works, and it, it feels really well framed. Um, But really it's the visuals which are like the absolute strength of the film, far beyond any narrative that it's trying to give you. Um, And that's another interesting thing about documentaries, right, is that like, there's this kind of hesitance on how much you credit the editor, um, because the editor does deserve credit, the director deserves credit, they have built a story with all this footage, but the visuals are absolutely out of this world. Like I could watch that film forever, it's so visually interesting. Yeah,
2: no. uh well, yeah, yeah, I agree. Like the, the kind of footage they've got, the kind of 16mm is so, so vivid. Um, I just love films about, like, really passionate, obsessive people. Um, and <laughs> that's what Kaya and is. They're just nutters, basically. Like they're, they're really charming. They're really photogenic, But they're off their head. Like, why are they doing this? They're basically, like, the Jack Cousteau of Lava. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of vibe. And I love that how like, the French, like, embrace them when they're on, like, French TV. I can't really think of a British equivalent, really. Um, and there's been a lot of... Cons- to like Wes Anderson and I can see why that is because the film is a little bit twee especially that voiceover and I do agree it's kind of superfluous at times it, it's telling you stuff that's already on screen but I think the film is kind of quite spiky too and I kind of liked it better as I went along because the whole shtick of these pairs seem to be at the start they're kind of daredevils you know they particularly Maurice who seems to be um, you know, he's in it for, for the thrills. He's not really that in it for the science. He's really into, like, the danger of it. You know, there's, there's scenes of him, like, going in a rubber dinghy across this lava, at this kind of lake of sulfuric acid, or he plans to canoe down this kind of lava stream. Um, or he cooks eggs on the lava. You know, he's just, he's just a dope, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and you think, he's dragging this poor woman Katya, who seems much more down-to-earth, into these dangerous situations. Um, and, he's yeah, it was just a bit of a show-off. But I think the film really takes a turn when um there's 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 a scene where they go to the aftermath of this eruption in Colombia in the mid eighties where like twenty five people died and it seems like to change the course of their study they go from like studying these kind of doing these kind of daft stunts very visually cool stunts where they're like in these little suits to actually trying to work out how to help people and I think that's when the film to me became more interesting and i actually yeah i kind of it I, I became very emotional like instead of like dying for like some stunt they're dying actually to try and change the world so that's it yeah. so, so it became a, a bit more interesting towards the end for me
1: yeah i kind of think from what i remember of the voiceover wasn't it that also even before the columbia thing they had been trying to like instill certain like evacuation protocols and procedures and stuff like through their research and the government had been like it's too expensive and then after that was it that one was that cl- i can't quite
2: remember the order but i, I think the, the, for me the first half of the film was very much about the fun of yeah yeah, being yeah being in a sure. volcano in the volcano and that of-
1: idea of like youth almost like the kind of yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah i know i agree with you guys it is really the visuals of it are really lovely it is wild to me that this was not made to be a film like so you know what i mean that this is just archival footage that someone has edited into a film that they didn't set about being like we're gonna turn this into like like that is just bananas
0: because the thing about that is it's a lot of absolutely incredible footage but it's such a massive range of Mm. like types of shot and things that have been filmed yeah and like yeah kind of these absolutely wild shots of people like standing right next to lava that is literally spurting out at them but then also a really really like long almost like a kind of Sergio Leone tracking shot across like a volcanic like, basin, and it's like, Like, it yeah.
1: literally plays yeah. any American yeah. Yeah. in the yeah.
0: background. And they have, yeah, it's that thing that, um, oh, the crafts never really saw themselves as filmmakers. They were volcanologists, bollocks. <laughs> they were giving it the little film school thing of being like, nobody just films like a puddle up close for ages to just be like oh I just really want to get a good look at this puddle they knew what they were doing
1: I genuinely think these guys might have though. do you know what I mean like yeah. the puddles I mean, on a volcano I did game.
3: not learn a bit of volcanology from this film like it's oh, so I learned loads I learned,
1: learned. what uh, are but, you know talking I about, about is that, like, I kind of <laughs>
3: wonder red volcanoes a and grey volcanoes. volcanoes and the difference <laughs> yeah, when there's two kinds of volcanoes like <laughs> which they apparently isn't even volcanology they say there's loads of classifications of volcanoes that they throw out the window because there's yeah for them it's a binary of is it dangerous is it not so it's this whole thing of like i'm like what does a volcanologist even do because they certainly from what i I gather (laughs) they don't they don't take like (laughs) helicopter rides around the world to get these unbelievable shots that's just them they're cinematographers they are volcanologists because they obviously released books and films and stuff like that and did lectures but the the film itself really like portrays them as adventurers and artists rather than Scholars,
2: probably because a film about them like studying all the little samples. that yeah. they do. I was gonna say because be research is not
1: cinematic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because it's a bad time. Yeah.
0: Looking at a piece of volcanic ash and be like, it's pretty grey. Eh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just get back in the chopper.
2: <laughs> I've had i one complaint of the film. I kind of wish it dug a bit deeper into the relationship because and because I feel it's a bit like because we're not really here on their point of view. Like it's it's because it's using all their footage and all their kind of archived diaries and stuff we don't really get any other voices in there and I just wonder if it would be interesting I mean it's an art film so it's not really going to go down that but like if you heard from like maybe some of their colleagues who obviously mm. they, they had big teams it wasn't just them mm. alone and maybe get a better sense of what katia and maurice were like because i get a sense when you see them on like chat shows in france they are being characters a little bit mm-hmm.
1: but the way she looks at him yeah like you can't fa- like there's that this was one, so nice
3: there's this one bit where she says um i always let him walk in front yeah, of me Jesus. because wherever he can't go i can't go which is obviously like you know referring to a survival tip if you're exploring a volcano but at the same time, like, she says it with a lot of love. Like, yeah, it, it's and she's, kind of this very buried way of expressing yeah, yeah, yeah. some real affection. And I think
1: right after that is isn't that when she's like, yeah, because if he dies, I would also want yeah. to go. And actually, for me, that was what really made the film. Like, I don't think you get a sense of their relationship in this very, like, granular, realistic, whatever way. But I think, like, the film kind of it's so interesting because it's showing like yeah these volcanoes this idea of like scale and this idea of like the indifference of the earth to people right like that this is something that has been going on for millions of years beneath the surface and suddenly it'll erupt but it's stuff that is not of like human understanding or scale or like time or anything but you have these two people that like for them that is their life and they are everything to each other and like how it's kind of showing how things become important, even when they're unimportant, I think is just like really beautiful. Um, Yeah, it just made me feel like quite soppy and nice. And there's this bit as well in, I really liked Miranda July's narration, I have to say, like it was very like lyrical and slightly like, it was very Miranda July, like it's very like quirky and sort of, not really in reality um but there's a bit where she talks like this constant refrain of like what makes the earth's heartbeat and what makes its blood flow and just like yeah the non-human becoming human and the human becoming non-human I just think it was like so yeah I thought it was beautiful I didn't really want to know what like the inside of their relationship was like in that way
2: what love is we're going to have such a different take when Bernard Herzog does (laughs) (laughs) because you couldn't think of a different no uh, (laughs) yeah Yeah, so that's gonna be fun yeah
0: because I think that like That's one of the things that the Wes Anderson comparison was a thing that I kind of thought as well when I was watching it and I think it's partly because of the subject and it's got really like quite big, feel like um, Life Aquatic is effectively this story but with a lot more jokes in it. Um, But also, and I can't let this go by without being said, the fashion.
1: Yes, f- it these is fits the red beanies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These fits
0: are outrageous. <laughs> these people knew what they were about. This was France in the 80s. Love to see it. Yeah, the, yeah
2: there's a lot of really good fun French pop on the soundtrack yeah, yeah. as well. Like a lot mm-hmm. of it, especially at the start, there's lots of like fun jaunty things of them just jumping
0: across in their little beanies and little yeah. red boots. And it's it's quite impressive that it takes what is really an extremely gnarly and heavy metal subject, which is like liquid rocks that are also on fire. And manages to turn it into like a nice like a quite a like sweet and compelling story that is about like exploration and getting companionship in exploration and discovering new things mm-hmm. together. If when you, it's like, whoa, volcanoes. <laughs> I think that's what Van House* is going to do.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I think if you're the kind of person who feels like they would not be interested in a documentary about French volcanologists from the 70s, I think challenge yourself with this film because yeah, it yeah. is super stylized and super sweet and, and a really easy watch. Like, it, it is, it feels really fun to watch. The visuals alone, like, I don't think there's anyone who wouldn't enjoy them.
1: Yeah, there's just something about... Like a volcano, like the way, yeah, that like solid becomes liquid. Like there's something that just feels like so uncanny and weird about it that to kind of see it. I mean, like, in I, real life,
3: when you see like a big stream of like lava, I know oh, it would kill so me instantly, up. but I want to dip my hands in it. Like it looks oh, so satisfying. Oh no,
1: no! And like you know, at the beginning where he like slips in hot mud and like his leg gets burnt. Oh my god, I find volcanoes so scary. But then it's also interesting what the film teaches you is that the ones that look scary with all the like melting rock are actually not the ones that will kill you. Yeah, Maurice
2: mm-hmm. Rigence is as scary as walking down a street in Belgium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is an interesting. yeah Yeah. it's
1: very french
0: (laughs) (laughs) so um so fire of love is out on the 29th of july i believe it's going to be screening at the gft in the film house but it's getting a kind of like let's say kind of arty film level release so your your local your local independent cinema will probably have it it's a very good watch it will look great on on a big screen as well definitely Um, yeah so yeah fire of love check it out Okay, and now we want to talk about something a little bit different, and in a little bit of a different way. So, Charlie Shackleton, who is a British kind of documentarian and film essayist, who made uh, Beyond Clueless, and what was the name of the other feature he made?
2: Oh, I forgot his name, the horror one. Is that the name of something? Yes. Um, He's made a few things. He made, uh, my favourite thing of his was he made, uh, like I think, a 10-hour film, which he submitted to the, the BFC just so they had to like watch this film of paint drying just 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 basically a stunt to piss the bbc uh, bbfc off because he was like you kind of, know he, he's kind of got like had a campaign against like their kind of rating systems so yeah he made somebody from the bbfc watch his 12 hour film about paint drying and give it a use
0: of
1: that is so baller yeah. Yeah. oh yeah. my god so
0: this is the kind of guy we're dealing with new guy detected this is the kind of guy we're dealing with so <laughs> Charlie- new
1: guys just dropped. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Paint guy is in the building. Um, so, yeah, so Charlie Shackleton has a new film coming out called The Afterlight. And the reason that we're talking about it like this rather than reviewing it is because this film is only going to exist as a single 35mm film print. So there's going to be no digital copy, there's going to be no digital release. And the film itself is made up entirely, it's a kind of montage video essay type thing, it's made up entirely of... Scenes featuring actors who have passed away since the release of those films but have been kind of immortalised on screen and the premise of the kind of whole project is that there's only going to be one print and Charlie Shackleton is going to personally take it to each venue it's going to play at and the idea is it's going to erode a little bit because it's a physical film print, it's going to erode a little bit every time it screens and become kind of like imperfect and scratched and eventually it just won't work and the film will just disappear entirely. So there are two screens of it coming up in Scotland which have both got director Q&As with Charlie. There's one on Wednesday the 27th at the GFT and one on Friday the 29th at the Filmhouse in Edinburgh. But we wanted to talk about it because it sounded really interesting but we also thought it was a good chance to talk about other kind of unusual or interesting ways of watching films interesting kind of innovations in the ways that films are screened and basically as it says here in the notes other generally cool things in the world of watching the films (laughs) um so there's kind of a few different elements that we just kind of want to throw in and maybe a good place to start is with some of charlie's other stuff so you talked about the bbfc uh piss take paint
1: have you seen it Jamie?
0: I don't think it was ever released. It's just called Paint Drying. I think that's his name, and it's like,
2: yeah, it's just a yeah. it's really it also had a film I think called the Fish Film. It was like a short film where it was his friend was telling a story about like going to a, a fish competition. I was like, I I, it, like it was a it was a gathering where everybody had this name, which was a fish, and they were all in. But it's just a really surreal but like story from his friend his, that he told in the pub. And he recorded but then he set it to these kind of like amazing images of fish and like in like seaside sort of scenes so yeah he's just a really interesting really creative filmmaker he used to be a critic actually used to run um a blog which is really funny uh i can't actually remember his name now but anyway he, uh, he used to go well it also changed his name he used to go by the name charlie lynn and so that's so if you search charlie lynn that's that's his kind of uh old blog where you'll find like i think it was culture shock was it called but anyway it, yeah he's just a really fascinating Uh, Figure really, he's like a yeah really interesting critic. But essayist now, he's done a lot with the BBC. He's done a lot with Channel Four.
0: He has a really amazing uh, film that was created entirely on his phone about film criticism on TikTok. So he went over, I think it was to the Melbourne Film Festival and was running like youth workshops on getting into film criticism. And he was, it's all about how he discovered how these kids would these kids these young people he discovered how, like he kind of got used to how they were using TikTok and it's this kind of very self-contained in that vertical film uh vertical phone screen layout of him like flicking back and forth between like different apps and like showing little clips of people and stuff it's really great piece of like video essay but then Charlie's stuff reminds me and this is where we're going to step into what I've dubbed in the notes Peter's video art corner uh <laughs> really reminds me of um Christian Markley who's like a video artist and two particular things that he did that maybe speak to this thing of like innovative interesting ways of doing films so the clock is a Christian Markley film that is 24 hours long it's made up entirely of film clips where the time on screen syncs up with the real world clock um and yeah just kind of like pieces together all these bits of archive from like old Hollywood films and documentaries and stuff but the other one that is in a similar vein that is really interesting and also terrifying, which I saw at the Venice Biennale, I saw it at the Venice Biennale, um, <laughs> in 2019 I believe it's called 48 War Movies, and it is 48 war films all playing at once, they're sort of arranged oh. concentrically, so there's like a little sliver of um, little sliver of footage of each of them visible at once but all the soundtracks are playing at full volume at once
1: oh that would be so horrible so you can
0: only ever see actual glimpses of people but you can hear the sound of war ongoing who did that that one the 48 war movies
1: mm-hmm. that was christian
0: markley oh that was also mm. christian markley yeah. so, so was that it. like
1: the uk at the beginning uh, no from? he was
0: in the kind of uh he was in arsenal in the arsenal program so he's uh, a Amer- he's british i believe british or american I think he's American, but I might be wrong. Uh, I could I be can wrong. Look it up while I describe this thing slightly further.
3: Um,
1: <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to have put facts into this. He
0: is American and Swiss. Oh, never saw that coming. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, it's basically like looking at an incredibly violent kaleidoscope. This thing with all this like stuff going on and all these like little snippets of things it reminds me weirdly of did anyone ever see the youtube video of every episode of friends playing at once <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like all overlaid over the top of each other that, that is incredible i feel like we've gone down a rabbit hole of things all happening at once yeah. <laughs> so
2: mostly you get a cacophony of violence because the sound is also overlaid so okay, you've got bits of like Platoon at the same time as you've got like apocalypse now yeah
0: that's great yeah it's really really good but slightly completely terrifying. Um, So that's one way of kind of taking cinema, like people's expectations of how they would watch a film and fiddling with them a bit. Uh, Does anyone have any other examples that they have either been to or seen that they feel would continue this conversation?
1: Feels like school.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I can't help it.
2: That's just my voice. (laughs) I was going to say, uh, I kind of love watching films where it feels like a bit of an endurance test. If that oh, makes sense. I fucking hate that. No, I, I love it, because the thing is, I'm a really unfit cinema geek, so I'm not going to climb Everest, I'm not going to hike the Amazon. <laughs> but I can sit in film house and watch 10 hours of Kieslowski's The Decalogue, or I can watch 13 hours of Jack Kravitz' uh, Out One Straight Through, which I have done. Those are like two of my kind of favourite um, epic watching uh, moments in film um and I guess the thing is like cinema like going to movies like very similar you know if you like one visit to cinema blends into another and I like going to things that are kind of one-offs like I'm never gonna happen again like I want to it shown so rarely and I had to go travel to london to, to see it and yeah, I love those kind of one off things. Um, one of the best places to have those kind of endurance experiences actually in Scotland is at the Glasgow Short Film Festival, ironically. Because um, <laughs> like a few years ago, they showed um, Kevin Jerome Everson's Park Lanes, which is this documentary depicting the workday routine at a bowling alley factory in Virginia. And it's a like kind of duration of work that's eight hours in length. And the idea is you experience kind of work in real time. So what Gf, uh, GSFF did is they started the screen at 9 a.m. sharp. You had to go, it's almost like you clocked in to work, and then you sat, <laughs> you watched till five, there was no break, but at lunchtime when the characters on screen were having lunch, they would bring around sandwiches and the, like everybody was eating sandwiches while they watched it. And obviously there's a kind of political idea of that, it's like you're experiencing labour, um, and it's like that's a really interesting political filmmaker. Um, you know, other other ways of doing it can be quite fun, like, so for example, they also did an amazing all-night uh, screening of A Picture-Upon Where where' Ethical short films. Uh, and the thing about um, A Pitchabong is his films are very kind of trippy because they have this kind of slow methodic pace and they're kind of very dreamy. So the fact you're watching this overnight and we're all kind of, I should say, we're all, we're all kind of on the floor on beanbags as well. So we're all kind of prone, uh, kind of spread ego watching these films. And basically <laughs> you were, everybody was nodding off. And the idea is like you don't know... The idea is that his his films were kind of blending into your dreams, so you, you you might have spent the whole night and you don't know what you watched. Basically, did I watch have a dream or did I watch these crazy films from like Thailand? You know, so like yeah, that's really fun. Also, I really love like, just doing like all night horror films. Like they used to do them quite a lot at the Cameo. And this guy Matt Palmer used to put on all night horror madness, and. Like again, the idea of that is is really fun because what he'd do at kind of three a.m. he'd put on the weirdest film. Like so, he'd put on like kind of very con- conventional horror films early on, but then the weird stuff would come out at three. And again, when you're sort of street sleep deprived, that kind of cinema becomes like trippy and like it becomes more scary almost when you're like not off or you wake up and like there's just sort of terror on screen. So yeah, um, I guess I guess my favorite thing about that type of experience is, you know, you could watch all those films at home, theoretically, but at home you're kind of in charge, you can p- press pause, you can go and make a cup of tea, but here the movies are in charge and you can't mm-hmm. pause and you just have to like give yourself over and you can't check your phone. Um, so yeah, I think that kind of like the liveness of cinema is most it is most extreme when you're doing those kind of durational things and like you can't escape it almost. Like um, So yeah, I kind of love that and it kind of makes it more memorable for me.
1: I think yeah I think for me it has to be that like the medium is doing something with the message so like all of those examples that you said like I think I like would go to all of those so I think that sounds really interesting and the way that it's being shown is either in contrast or it's like adding to like what the film is about and so it's this kind of like political idea of screening which I think is really interesting what I really hate is like turning cinema into an endurance test just to say you have. So I absolutely despise when people do, um, like, extended edition Lord of the Rings, like, marathons. Because I'm like, what's the point? Like, what is the fucking point? I'm sorry, by the third film, you are not having a good time. Like, you're not in it. You're not enjoying it. It's been, like, 10 hours. They've gone to, like, the film has ended five times. Aragorn still isn't king. Like, why? Like, no one... Like, it's more the point to kind of say that you have than to have actually, and that I really don't like. And I think it kind of buys into a kind of broader idea of like the theme parkification of cinema that like we see with things like 4DX and all of that. Like, that is not a vibe. But I think the stuff that you were saying is a vibe because it's doing something quite different. I think it's like quite particular in how it's being screened. It's not just like, or even things like double bills, where the double bills are like, selected really well so that the films like are in conversation with each other rather than just like sit in the cinema for 12 hours and watch three really long films because they're long like okay <laughs> sure yeah. yeah
0: and it also seems a bit like uh, Jamie was onto something when he compared uh watching like a Bella Tar film to climbing a mountain because there's <laughs> some people who will climb a mountain just because they want to say that they've climbed a mountain yeah and there's some people who want to climb a mountain because they have some other more either like existential or just like they have an actual reason for doing it. So like lying on the ground in the CCA, watching a bunch of extremely confusing Thai short films, because the point of doing it like that is to add to the confusion of those films, makes like, you're right, it's much better as a, it's much more justifiable and a nicer idea and a more interesting way of watching those films. That's the equivalent of doing, you know, climbing up a mountain for some greater reason than just being like, I climb mountains because I climb more of them than John, who also works in the same office I work in. (laughs) He's only seen Lord of the Rings all the way through seven times. He's (laughs) a loser. I hate John. (laughs) The thing is, I I agree
2: doing that on your own is like loser material, but I think doing it in a group (laughs) is... (laughs) I think, no, uh, like watching... Watching, <laughs> uh, like, sitting in a room with people and, like, having that experience. And it doesn't matter if you nod off or if you leave. It's, like, it's, it's the fact that you've done it and it's, like, you're in a group and it's different from, like, at home. Because that's, like, that's the great thing with cinema. You are, it's a, it's the kind of, it's a funny medium where you're on your own watching it. But you're also watching it with a group of people. Even if you went to the cinema on your own, mm-hmm. you still experience it as a group. Um, which is kind of quite unusual and it's not quite, like, other art forms in that way. Because um, you're, like, alone in the dark but you're also as a community um, and yeah it I love the community a little bit but <laughs> theatre you, the t- you also get the weird tension those actors as well and yeah, right? yeah, yeah. theatre can be weird because I'm, I'm always worried about like offending like if, if I fell asleep in theatre I'd be mortified but <laughs> I fell asleep at uh, a pitch upon where it's ethical films and he probably in- encouraged it because he makes his films yeah, slow yeah. on purpose you know
3: it's stuff that really like opens the idea of watching a film or, or engaging with cinema as an activity it's mm-hmm. not just the, the 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 consuming of an object. It's the and all the things that you listed like seem like really good examples because they involve something else to enhance or augment that activity, like sleep deprivation or or eating sandwiches with everyone else in the cinema.
1: But that's the thing. I think that's exactly it. Is like really, it's maybe just like the Lord of the Rings part <laughs> that pissed me off. I have but a like, little
3: bias as someone who's done that.
1: I mean, I have done that once. Actually, it was with our new theatre editor, Ro, um, and I went out halfway through Two Towers to go to (laughs) (laughs) Sneaky's. And I went clubbing for like three hours, and then I came back to the battle. That's a baller Yeah, that was fun. (laughs) I came back for like the Battle of the Pelmore Fields. It was a great time. Um, (laughs) But like, yeah, those kind of like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings marathons where it is just about like this kind of nostalgic consumption. Mm-hmm. And it is actually very passive because you've seen it before and you're not really paying attention. And the point is just to be like, I did a Harry Potter marathon. It's not to have actually seen the films in any kind of community or context or anything. I just, I really, I don't know why they annoy me so much. but I just do. think there's
3: such a gradient thing to it. Like I remember, I can't remember what film it was I'd seen where it was at. I think Mandy or something like that from 2018, where it's a pretty good film. I quite like that film, but I kind of thought, you know, I think this film is best enjoyed put it on mute and put it on a big tv while you've got a party going on while you've got music playing like as just a visual thing mm. that people can sort of step in and out of and for me at least when we did our lord of the rings marathon that was like the second day of lockdown back in 2020 like that's <laughs> what it was for it was just to have something sort like of like
1: visual, visual <laughs> like
3: alive happening noise so that if there's a lull in the conversation or whatever that there's still activity in the room
1: mm.
3: um so yeah those all sound really interesting i would like to go and see the new um charlie shackleton thing the Afterlight. that sounds really good
2: yeah i was gonna say like i was gonna say film f- oh, no.
1: i wasn't saying anything oh, no, I was no. gonna- just at me
2: <laughs> well i was gonna say film festivals are a little bit like this as well because film festivals you might sometimes watch three or four or sometimes five films if you're crazy in a day which you mm. would never do at home but you do it At festivals, because you've got this kind of one-off chance to see films, and I love how sometimes you get almost themes emerging just by accident, by like your the luck of the draw of how your schedule works out, and then it becomes again, and you remember a film because oh, I saw that straight after seeing this terrible film, or you know, you get it becomes like yeah, these the kind of jigsaw of the, the of the festival schedule actually makes for an interesting accidental curation as well. So yeah, there's lots of ways to experience films that are different from the multiplex. And I think usually I remember those times better than just going to see a film on a Friday night.
1: There was a really lovely, the last time the French properly happened in the um, French Institute in Edinburgh, they had this like series of um, Georges Méliès films um, that played with like a live orchestra. So they did, like, the Voyage to the Moon, like, the very famous one where the rocket goes in the moon's eye. And, like, there were, like, three or four of them. Um, And that was really lovely. I hope they bring that back. Um, But, yeah, I think that kind of live orchestral, and I've never been to one of those. um, I think they have them at the Royal Albert Hall a lot where they'll, like, have, like, Star Wars, but it's, like, a live orchestra playing or something. I think that kind of taking it back to the origins of cinema where cinema was both, like, live and not live at the same time. That's really cool. I do like that.
0: Um, we also have to give a shout out to live directors commentary a genre accidentally <laughs> invented by the cine skinny when we put on that james price screening and he was just unstoppable <laughs> as in he could not be stopped <laughs> we gave it a bash um so um the after like i said before two screenings coming up 27th of july which is a wednesday evening at the gft and then the friday the 29th at film house
1: do you guys have tickets
0: uh, I am going to be in the car going to WOMAD Festival in Wiltshire. Oh,
1: okay.
0: Eight That's hour fun. drive to Malmesbury. <laughs>
1: <laughs> A fun time. Wish
0: me luck. <laughs> um, but do any of the rest of you have tickets?
1: Uh,
2: I did. I haven't got tickets yet, but
0: I can find Yeah, I might go see it on the Friday. Well, you might hear these guys in the Q&A asking questions about uh, Pong's short films or just absolutely bagging on Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever watched the Lord yeah. of the Rings? I, I don't have Gold. a question. It's more of a comment. What about those nods? Eh? <laughs> 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 okay, and very quickly before we go, and we probably have to be quite brief with this, the Edinburgh International Film Festival programme came out, if you're listening to this on the day it came out, yesterday, so it's just come out. Oh, it's we're, come out today. Well it if, come, if it'll today come out tomorrow. Yeah. So today that we're recording
1: Uh-huh. It comes out tomorrow. Yes. Oh, okay. Which means that
0: if you're listening to this on the oh, day it comes out, okay, 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 it okay. came out yesterday.
1: No, but then I'll have come out today. Oh no, because today's Tuesday. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Carry on. Um, we're doing a this food. is not live, you know <laughs> 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 this is <just> <laughs> the world. Yeah. We're gonna enter this. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully we're going to edit this down. So, i sorry. Uh, it's very hot today. <laughs>
1: I thought it was Wednesday. <laughs> okay, carry on.
0: So next time uh, we're going to do a big preview of the Edinburgh Film Festival programme. We're going to go into detail about, basically our picks from the festival programme and a couple of other wee bits and bobs. Um, but in the meantime, just as a very quick amuse-bouche, the, the next episode of the podcast for anyone who has made it this far uh just some very brief thoughts on the program which opens with after sun the film with paul mescal from normal people is directed by jamie charlotte wells charlotte wells thank you very much and uh, closes with after yang which is the new Congonada film with colin farrell and other people in it um The festival feels quite deliberately different from past editions of EIFF feels a bit more experimental and more particular um we shall see how that goes uh, in the fullness of August but I think from my perspective fair play to them for backing themselves to do something a bit different and bring something new to the table in Edinburgh in August I will very quickly go round and get one very early preliminary pick from each of you
3: starting with Lewis? Uh, There's a film coming out called Lola which I really want to go see. Um, It sounds super interesting. It's really it's one of those ones where like as soon as you hear the synopsis you like it. It's like uh, in the 1930s or 40s it's two teenage girls who have a radio that can receive radio signals from the future. So they use it to become the first fans of like pop music to hear songs for the very first time from the future except then of course wind up hearing transmissions about World War II and I have no idea about about it much other than that I just love the synopsis and that's definitely going to be one of my picks.
2: That's one of the British ones is it? I believe so yeah. Yeah, That's cool yeah um I I guess it's a a program with lots of like new filmmakers but one of them I guess one of the more bigger names in there is Peter Strickland um he's got a new film uh, Flux Gourmet which is great it's like a weird and funny and funky it's like um It's about a band, like this kind of experimental group who uh, make sound with like vegetables and like food and stuff like that and like frying like vegetables. Yeah, and it's like, uh, but it's set set at this kind of institute where they're making this, uh, they're on a kind of residency and it's like, you know, it's very funny, very, it's about the creative process basically and I guess if you're interested in film or art or if you make film or art, you'll probably get a lot of uh, good good laughs out of it because it's, it's basically satire. satire um, but, but very weird and the way that Peter Strickland's films are always
0: kind of quite weird and kinky so. Weird and kinky <laughs> everyone's favourites Um, Annie anything in particular?
1: Uh, so Peter did not want us so he was going to do this oh, section sorry. <laughs> so I'm scrambling um, but off the top of my head I think what I am really excited to see is like a retrospective film that they're doing which is Lynn Ramsey's than colour. Colour, Is that how you say it? Caller? Yeah. Um, which I have never seen before. Um, and it's like a 35mm print at the film house. So I think that will be very nice.
0: Good stuff. And I just want to give everyone a shout out for Saloum, Senegalese, Congolese, Action, Supernatural, Cowboy, Mercenary, Swedgeham-Up. It's, uh, it's about three mercenaries who get sent on a job in Senegal. And apparently it has it sounds like it has elements of every film genre that i like all in one go (laughs) and hopefully we'll talk more about it next time um because next time we're going to do a big preview of the film festival program i will have given people more time to prepare (laughs) i can only apologize um and if you've Listened this far, you'll probably be interested in that and in coming to the live event I plugged at the start of the podcast, the, uh, the skinny.co.uk slash tickets for that for the Sinny Skinny Live. Um, but I think that's about it for this week. Mm-hmm. Getting nods from across the room, so good stuff. Um, so, yeah, you can follow us all on Twitter in the meantime on Anna Heat Ruse, Jimmy Don Esquire lou underscore rob underscore and peter simpson all one word no vowels you can send us an email on skinny at the skinny.co.uk um i'm i don't know about anyone else i'm absolutely roasting yeah i'm pretty hot um
1: Um, yeah i'm just scrolling through twitter not that i'm not listening to you but i'm scrolling through twitter apparently there have been all these fires breaking out in london oh my god this is a heat wave jesus well (laughs) what a good time
0: well, we'll be back in two weeks, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> if the country hasn't just burst into flames. Yep. Um, but yeah, thank you, Lewis. Thank you. Thank you, Anahit.
1: Thank you. Thanks,
0: Jamie. Just Pierre. And thank you from me, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> okay, right. We'll be back in two weeks. Bye. 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 Bye.